We're going to continue our study through Mark. We're going to be looking at chapter 1 again, verse 29 to 45, and finishing the chapter today. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for this wonderful record of your life story, that we can see how wonderful you are as a Savior, and we want you to capture our hearts, our minds, as we take a moment to study something of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Last time we left this story, we had seen chapter 1 of the book of Mark, seeing how Jesus is presented as somebody who is now empowered by the Spirit, the Son of God, and man, 100% God, 100% man, he's now launching into his ministry, empowered by the Spirit. So we're going to continue this, chapter 1, uh, with Jesus being a, a man empowered by the Spirit to fulfill the ministry that God has for him. And a few comments about the book of Mark. Number one, you're going to see as you read through the book of Mark that there are general summary comments. What I mean is that you'll see how Mark will talk about Jesus going from town to town. He came and the crowds came to listen to him. General comments. You'll also see him take a moment and dive into the details of a specific story. Uh, for example, you'll see names in some of the stories of how many people were there the time of day the regulations of the Jewish law mentioned. Sometimes you'll see what people were thinking and uh, what they were saying. So he uses these general comments as well as these specific comments. So just pay attention to that as we go through the story. Also to remind you that this region here of uh, Galilee is where Jesus is doing his ministry. He does visit other areas, but this is the place where he spent most of the time. And the Sea of Galilee, important, up in the northern part of Jerusalem. And I want to zoom in on that Sea of Galilee so that you can see the town of Capernaum. That's where we left off this story. This is the hometown of Peter and Andrew and James and John. And Jesus had called these men to follow them. And amazingly, what was it about Jesus, this attractive nature of this person, the power of God working through Jesus, that as he simply said to these men, come follow me, they left everything and followed him. So we're going to continue the story. After there's a healing of a demon-possessed man in a synagogue, it says as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. Little comment here, we can see that Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. His wife's mom is in bed with a fever. And interesting as we read the Bible, times haven't changed. A fever then was a fever now. So it's something that we're all familiar with, that feeling of hot in the body, chills, uh, sweating, and again, the body getting hot as the body tries to fight off a virus or a bacterial infection. They did what anyone should do. They immediately told Jesus about her. So they went straight to Jesus with their problem. Good place to go with your problems, to Jesus. Now, I've said this little comment here that the Gospel of Mark is the action thriller. What I mean is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John all tell the life story of Jesus. And John, different from Luke, different from Matthew, 
uh, wonderful part of the Bible, part of the Word of God, but just a different angle that they take on Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry, different things that they pick up and highlight. The book of Mark uses these words immediately. So you see here it says immediately uh, they told Jesus about here. You'll see these quick action words in Mark, short stories in Mark to pick up the, 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 the pace of the story. And so it's the action thriller. So they immediately tell him, and it says here that uh, Jesus went to her. He took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. One thing we see here with Jesus is this human touch. Jesus could have looked at this woman and said, from a distance, you're healed. Fever, be gone. Instead, he goes over to her and takes her by the hand. The other thing it says is that he helped her up. So I think this indicates how serious this fever was. This wasn't a small fever. It seemed to be a fever that really had knocked her down. He actually has to help her up. But as he does, it says the fever left her and she began to wait on them. Uh, Jesus is not afraid to touch this woman, to touch her because she's sick. Some people have the idea that if you touch the sick person, the sickness will get onto you. In fact, it can happen. It's the way that virus and viral infections spread, but he's not afraid to touch her because he has power over this sickness, and the sickness has no power over Jesus. So notice here that the healing is instant, it's complete, and notice her sweet response. She rises up and waits on them immediately. So a very beautiful healing, quick healing. Uh, I think for some of us, we might take this opportunity, although being healed, to lie down for the rest of the day and enjoy a break. But she doesn't. The, the healing is so complete and so instant that she's able to immediately rise up. And her response, she serves. Very beautiful. So we see here that Jesus has the power over fevers. Now, you might say, well, yes, he has the power over sickness. True, but here the specific sickness is a fever. Was it viral? Was it bacterial? We don't know, but he has power over this fever. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. A couple of other notes here something beautiful we see about the life of Jesus. Notice the time. It says early in the morning, he went to a quiet place. And what did he do? He prayed. Early in the morning, he went to a quiet place and he prayed. A few interesting thoughts and questions that usually arise from this is Jesus praying. Some people will ask, well, if he's God, why does he need to pray? Very good question why he needs to pray is that he is doing everything in cooperation with the Spirit and with the Father. So he is not doing anything on his own, so he needs to pray to keep that, that communication, that closeness of relationship. I think also he wants to be with the Father and to spend time with the Father. So prayer for a believer in Jesus is not a duty. It is not something that you set up on the schedule and you pray a certain number of times throughout the week or the day. 
It's something from within the heart where you want to talk to God and you enjoy the relationship with God. And so Jesus is wanting some time alone with the Father where he can just talk to him and listen to him. And he wakes up early in the morning and goes to a quiet place. Remember, this is Simon Peter's house. And it's uh, there seems to be quite a few people there. So he needs a bit of time of quiet away from the noise, the commotion. And so off he goes. Now, just as a quick thought, uh, you know, if Jesus needed to pray, certainly we do too. And I find that there are two things that help me to be able to establish a good time of prayer and a prayer life. Maybe this will help you. Number one is a time. When do you pray? Number two is a place. Where do you pray? If you can isolate and identify those two uh, issues, if you can answer those two questions, it's going to help your prayer life immensely. So if I asked you, when do you pray? Do you pray in the morning? Do you pray in the evening? Some people do better in the morning. Some people do better in the evening. Some people like an afternoon break and that's when they pray. For me, if I try to pray at night, I'll fall asleep. I can watch TV till two o'clock in the morning. I can do work, but I don't pray well at night. I don't read my Bible well at night. I do better in the morning, but that's me. So that's my time. And my place, well, there needs to be a place where you go and that's your normal place to go and pray. Now, in the Bible, as a believer, there is no special place. There is no special time. It's a relationship that you have with God, but if you can take a time, make it your time of prayer, and you have a place where you pray, you're going to find that it helps your prayer life a lot. What happens next? It says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. They found him, and they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. They don't seem to really be in touch with Jesus' need to pray. It's quite interesting. They come find him. What are you doing, Lord, out here in this field all by yourself? They did find him, looking for him. (laughs) Can you imagine in the morning when they wake up, where's the Lord? Where has he gone? Looking around the house, outside the house. Finally, they start to wander through some of the fields. How long did it take them to find him? But there they did finally find him. And, you know, they exclaimed, hey, come on, what are you doing? Everyone's looking for you. So Jesus is not interested in the popularity contest and being Mr. Popular. He's interested in praying, but they do find him. Jesus replies, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Two other facts that we see here about Jesus being uh, uh, empowered by the Spirit in his ministry is that he's you got the power of the Spirit to preach. He is not teaching with, like the, like the synagogue leaders did. He's teaching with authority and with power. The other thing we see is, again, as we've seen before in this chapter 1 already, that Jesus has the power over demons. And so he's going from town to town. And notice it says, in their synagogues, driving out demons. So in the towns, in the synagogues, People were filled with demons, and Jesus was preaching, and he's doing great work in driving out these demons. We see here that by the power of the Spirit, as he's preaching and as he's driving out demons, he's driving back the kingdom of Satan. So, what an amazing man this Jesus is. The story continues, and we finish this chapter with this one story, and it's a beautiful story, something we may not think about. When we think about a spirit-empowered life, the word power itself 
in our minds makes us think of the power of the Spirit to cast out demons or to preach or to heal. But here we see the power through Jesus as well, giving him power to have compassion on people and their needs. Here we go from these general comments, as we've just seen, of Jesus traveling from town to town and preaching and healing, casting out demons. Now, another specific comment, a specific story, and into the details of a story. So notice this beautiful story. It says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice here this man. He has a condition. It's called leprosy. Now, in our day, that's a specific skin disease. But in Jesus' day, it was a general term to describe a number of skin conditions. You can see I have the Bible verses here, Leviticus chapter 13, the entire chapter. If you'd like to read, you can read about the different skin diseases that were called leprosy. They included things like scales on the skin, boils, discolored skin, infected sores, infected burns. And what had happened was this. The priest would examine the individual, and if it was indeed a skin disease that was called leprous, then that person would be declared unclean. If it wasn't, they would be declared clean. Now, by declaring them clean or unclean, it meant this. It was sort of a health and hygiene issue, number one. That is, if they were unclean, they were quarantined. They were set apart from the rest of the community and isolated so that the disease wouldn't spread. Now, that isolation would last as long as the skin condition lasted. So it might be for a week, it might be for a month, it might be a number of years if that skin condition persisted, or it might be until that person died. It also was a declaration that this person is religiously dirty, unfit to worship. They were not allowed to be involved in community worship, in community gatherings, in anything. Secondly, it made the third, rather, it made them a social outcast and isolated from the entire community. So uh, you can imagine the social pressure that this and, and um, uh, hurt and harm that this did to the individual as well. Very difficult. Part of it to keep the disease from spreading, but part of it a declaration of a religious condition and as well social condition. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Leviticus so you can catch the feel of this. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as the disease, as long as they have this disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So, if you catch this, here's this man, and he comes to Jesus, and it says that he's begging on his knees. Here's a man who has a skin condition, he's unclean, he has to have torn clothing, he has to wear something that covers his face, he has to keep his hair untidy, and whenever people come near him, he needs to shout out, unclean, unclean. So, there's a physical marker in his clothing, in his hair. So, Capture this if you can. This man, can you feel his pain? Can you feel his, his uh, misery? He's not simply just got leprosy. He does not simply have a skin condition. 
and there's a charity group that's reaching out to him and helping him so that they can work with this skin condition. He's isolated. He's a vagabond. He's a wanderer. Isolated and alone, he wanders from lonely place to lonely place without any um, friends, without anybody to be part of the community with, probably feeling that God himself has cast him out. Notice this man is on his knees. Desperation is the word that comes to my mind. The, the feeling that his, uh, he's been cast out, that he's been... You got the picture of what I'm saying. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you don't have leprosy, but maybe you feel that way. You feel that you are unwanted. You feel outcast. You feel rejected, abandoned by others. You feel like you're scum or dirt. You feel that maybe even you've sinned and you're a dirty person. You may not have leprosy, but you, maybe you feel that way. And I know that there are many people around the world who feel that God has put a curse on them and there are things that happen within their family life and their home life and people in the community talk and they talk about your family. They talk about how God has put a curse on your home, on your family life. And as the community begins to talk, you become seen as people that are dirty and unclean and outcast. And that sort of social pressure is really powerful, really, really powerful. And it creates a desperation within the soul. So if that's you, maybe you can relate to this man, the feelings and the thoughts that he's having. This is not simply a skin condition that he needs healing from. It is that, but it creates a desperation within his life. And notice that his request is, can you make me clean? Yes, he's asking for healing because once he's healed, it will result in him being accepted again back into the community and accepted by God. But his request is not, Jesus, can you heal me? It's Jesus, can you make me clean? Will you make me clean? If you are willing, you can do it, Lord. So beautiful request. He comes to Jesus. And what does it say about Jesus? This is glorious. This is wonderful. Notice Jesus moved with compassion. Empowered by the Spirit, moved with compassion. This man is not simply a statistic. He's not just another story of another healing. We have specific details now. We have details even about Jesus' feelings as he's moving toward this man. He has compassion. It means that he has empathy. It means that he feels this man's pain. He sees the trouble and the problem of his soul and his troubled soul and how, how hard it is on him. And he's moved with compassion. And notice what he does. Notice what Jesus does. It says that he reached out his hand and he touched the man. I want to make a couple of comments about this. This is really important. Number one, it means that Jesus has power over the disease. You see, nobody was to touch this man. Because in touching him, you became unclean. And you might also catch this disease. This is how diseases spread. They are contagious. Jesus is not going to have this disease spread to him. It's not going to transfer his direction, that is. This disease is now is going to be gone as Jesus reaches out to touch the man. As he reaches out to, to put his hands on the man, the disease will go. So, interesting. Jesus has power over the disease, but also 
it means that Jesus has power over the law of Moses. Because in touching this man, Jesus would become unclean, but Jesus does not become unclean. He touches him and the disease goes away. It doesn't make Jesus religiously dirty. He has power over this law of Moses. The other thing that's very beautiful here, it says he reaches out his hand and he touched the man. Like Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus could have simply spoken to the man, be healed, be clean. Are you willing, Lord? Yes, I'm willing. Be clean. Instead, it says that he reaches out his hand and he touches the man. This human touch of Jesus is amazing. Think about it. Maybe this man had not had anyone touch him for a long time. He hadn't had a hug. He had not had anyone who had just put their arm around him as a friend would do. He had not had the chance to touch any other human. And Jesus, maybe for a number of years, given the desperation that we see in this man's heart and in his speech, Maybe for a number of years he had no one touch him. And Jesus, with this very human, personal, loving, accepting touch, touches him. Maybe he puts his arm around his shoulder. Maybe he's got his arm on his, on his, on his, on his, his hand on his back. And he just says to him, I'm willing, be clean. Beautiful personal touch of Jesus, accepting, warm, compassionate. He says to him, be clean. Again, not healed, but immediately the leprosy does leave him. And this man is healed and he's accepted by God and by the community because of what Jesus did. Notice again Mark's use of the word immediately. Quick action stories. This is not a progressive slow healing. Sometimes that happens when Jesus touches you. But this is a quick healing. Immediately he was cleansed of the leprosy. Now notice, notice the response. Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Think about that. He's warning the man, and he says this to him. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Notice what Jesus asked him to do. He asked him to go tell the priest. Don't go tell anybody. Now, if you'd like to see more about the offering that is required, see Leviticus chapter 14. I have the verse there. Offer the offering that's required by anyone who's been cleansed of leprosy. And this will be a testimony to the fact that Jesus is interested in fulfilling the law of Moses. Jesus was not working against the law. Now, nowadays, because we love the Lord and Jesus has opened up heaven for us and given us the Spirit and given us new life, we are not required to go back to the law and to follow the law. We are set free from all these regulations. For people who like to follow the law and they think that believers should follow the law, it's interesting uh, that the priest's role in the Old Testament was not simply eating foods. It was not simply cutting up doves and lambs on an altar. It included Practices that we might say were basic medicine, like examining skin sores. It included practices like condemning a house if there was mold on it. So an interesting job, the priest. He would have people throughout the course of his year that he was examining for skin conditions. He had a list of people who were on the unclean list. 
He would have pieces of mold and structural pieces off of buildings that he was watching and examining and testing to see if they had mold in them so that he could know whether or not to condemn a building. So there's so much in the law of Moses that we have been set free from. But in this time, Jesus is fulfilling all of the law of Moses so that when he dies on the cross and rises from the dead, he has completed everything in the law and we don't need to return back to it. We are liberated from it and we now follow the Holy Spirit and his leadership in our life. We are free from the law to follow the law of Christ, which is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. And to bring the good news to every person throughout the earth. So we're free from these laws and regulations, but Jesus wants to make sure that he's up at this time in his life, completing the law of Moses. So what does the man do? It says the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. He didn't listen to what the Lord said. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he could not publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. So this one story, the reason we have some details in here is we see that Jesus wants to follow the law. We see also that it created a problem in Jesus' uh, travels. He couldn't even get into public cities. He had to stay in isolated uh, places between, between the towns and cities. So to complete this, we see something that Jesus has power over skin diseases. And I want to just finish with that. I thank you for this time you've given to look at the book of Mark. I hope it's been a blessing to you. We're going to continue the study in chapter 2. So I want you to come back, watch chapter 2. Be blessed.